This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for shining on today. And now, a poem. Are you in the mood? I am. Let's put the kids down, have a light dinner, shower, maybe not drink so much, and do that thing I would rather do with you than anyone else. Lie in bed and look at our iPhones. Love Poems for Married People is the book from John Kenny. He became a sensation in The New Yorker a few years back. Now he has a whole book of poems. The author of Truth in Advertising, who won the Tommy Thurber Prize for American Humor. Talk to Me is his latest book. This Brooklyn writer, John Kenny, truly understands what really excites us. Hey, Casey. Hey, John, I have to tell you a story. Okay. I got a new washing machine. Yes. And I yesterday took a picture and put it on the Facebook. Yes. And I got over 300 likes and 100 comments on my new washing machine. And I thought, oh, my God, John Kenny could write a poem about this. And, and how excited were you? Oh, I just wanted to sit in the basement all night and stare at it. Yeah, it's beautiful and white, and it makes a nice humming noise, and it cleans your clothes. Yes, and you understand the joys of life. You bring reality to modern-day poetry. Tell us the story about the piece you wrote for uh, The New Yorker that just went crazy. Yeah, so I think it was two or three years ago, I wrote a piece called uh, Valentine's Day Poems for Married People, and uh, it was six or eight poems, I think, and by poems, I don't mean poems, uh, because that would be disrespectful to real poets, just sort of exceptionally uh, bad, silly thoughts about uh, long-term relationships, and that, it was it was pretty well received, and, and each sort of Valentine's Day, it kind of takes off a bit, uh, and so last summer, my publisher suggested uh, we make a book of them, and I, I write a bunch of new ones. I thought they were joking, so I laughed it off, and they said, no, no, we're serious. So I spent the summer in a six-week sprint to write this book. All right. Can you share a couple with us? I would be pleased to. Um, this one is called Our Love. Our Love is like the padlocks on the Pont des Arts in Paris. Thousands of locks, symbols of unbreakable love. Isn't that beautiful? Apparently, though, all those locks are too heavy for the bridge. Did you hear this? I read it somewhere. The locks are weighing down the bridge. So you know what they're going to do? They're taking them off with bolt cutters and throwing them in the trash. Isn't that beautiful, too? So now the people aren't locked together anymore. They're free to maybe see other people. I thought that was interesting. Oh, my goodness. That's, a, that's actually a true story. Uh, that they, they ended up taking off, I don't know if you're familiar with that bridge. It's sure. wooden bridge. And um, there were so many padlocks that it literally was weighing down the bridge. And so the city removed all of the padlocks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're yeah. free now. They're free to roam they're about the planet. They're free and remarried and happier <laughs> than ever. I'm joking. Of course. Now, do you have a valentine? I do have a valentine. Uh, I don't know if my wife has a valentine, but I have a valentine. Uh, it's my wife of 14 years who uh, I can't 
uh, credit enough with helping to uh, make this book happen. She was an inspiration and, and helped me write it and edit it. Yeah, does it ever get too close? Do you ever tell too many stories that, uh, you know, too close to home? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because most of them are not based on us, but uh, she has to take the brunt of mm. uh, the berating. We have a, a neighbor, an elderly gentleman, and uh, he came up to her after the New Yorker piece came out, and he said, I'm so sorry your husband mentioned your underpants. <laughs> what poem did you mention her own underpants? I think it's called, it has something to do with underwear. <laughs> I'm, forget, I, I'm blanking on which one it is. Oh, I'll um, find it. Oh, I'll yeah. Google that right up. So let's just go backwards for a bit and talk to me about your first novel. Truth Truth in Advertising? Truth in Advertising. You won what award for that? I won the Thurber Prize for American Humor. Yes, the Thurber Prize for American Humor, but Truth in Advertising told a very uh, uh, heart-wrenching kind of story. It did. There were funny parts, but there were some pretty, pretty deep, dark family. It was a very dysfunctional family. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it did tell that story. How do you know? Well, you'd obviously know what is the right amount of humor to use. Where did you get that from? I, I take mild exception with the premise. I'm not sure I do. It's, I think it's always sort of it's baking without a recipe. You're hoping for the best. You know, funny is such a, it's, it's such an amorphous thing, right? Uh, it's such a personal thing. And so I, I don't think there is a, a formula for it. It's, there's a little bit of alchemy to it, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the next book? The next book just came out about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. It came out January 15th. It's a novel called Talk to Me. Okay. And it takes place in the world of uh, media, the um I started about three years ago, and it, it's, it, it, it touches uh, quite a bit on some of the things that are going on today. Uh, the most powerful uh, anchorman in America is caught on an iPhone uh, berating a uh, young uh, intern, a female intern, uh, screaming obscenities at her, and uh, he's, he's ruined as a result of it. Um, he's estranged from his 28-year-old daughter who works in new media at like a, a TMZ-like website, mm -hmm. and she's tasked with interviewing her estranged father, and sort of chaos ensues. Wow, talk to me. I'm casting the movie in my head. Do you see it? Tell me. Tell me, who's, who's the, the, the hero is named Ted Grayson. Well, He's 59, a uh, dashing, handsome fellow. Oh, oh, could be so many, but what about that guy from Newsroom, Jeff? Jeff, 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 he's wonderful. Right? He's on Broadway yeah, he, right now. Yeah, he's, he, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's in the, uh, the Aaron Sorkin adaptation of... Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. Him? I've not seen it. Have you seen it? No, not yet. I want to. I do too. And I don't know, Blake Lively. Blake is, uh, she's, uh, she's, she's quite stunning. Um, uh, and ironically enough, Blake has read some of these poems because her husband has optioned this book. D did I just not vibe that whole thing? You Unbelievable. Vibe the whole thing. <gasps> you vibe the whole thing. You're a seer. A I'm a seer and a mystic. Oh my yeah. gosh. I I, but, but I can't remember Jeff's last name or Blake Lively's husband's name. <laughs> Blake Lively's husband's name is Ryan Reynolds. That's it. That's it. And 
Uh, he's going to make this a movie? Well, he's going to do something with it. He doesn't know what, oh um, but he and his production company have optioned it, and uh, they are considering some different things for it. So, wow, yeah, good we'll for see. You. It's, it's, very, it's very exciting. I'm very, very flattered by it. Uh, so we'll see. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, uh, I just one more second here. Jeff Daniels. I googled Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. And can you leave us with one more poem? I would be giddy too. Um, how about? Why are you in the shower with me? Mm. Did the bathtub shrink, I asked, because here we are, naked, showering together like we once did all the time. Remember, at the beginning, we would stand and talk, seals slipping by one another, a playful ease letting the other into the stream. Now, I'm not sure what you're doing in here. I'm freezing. There's shampoo stinging my eyes. You just stepped on my foot. For the love of Christ, who flushed the toilet because I'm being scalded alive? Get out. Now. It was a nice idea, though, honey. Could you close the door? Oh, happy Valentine's Day. Love Thank poems for married people. Everybody run and get that. John, where can we find out more about you? At Penguin Random House's uh, website. All right. Or my Instagram, John Kenny Writer. John Kenny Writer, you are a joy and a delight, and I can't wait to see what Blake Lively's husband does to talk to me. Thank you, Casey. Have a great day. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. John Kenny, Love Poems for Married People. And Google the Underpants poem, it's worth it. His latest book is Talk to Me. His first is Truth in Advertising. John Kenny lives in Brooklyn. If you want to come to Westchester, let's have some fun. I'm hosting a country line dance Saturday, February 23rd. There's going to be an instructor who will teach us how to do this. I don't know how. And then we have our Shine On Weekend Retreat that is selling out. That's the following weekend, March 1st, in Ossining. Casey.co has more, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Now consider this. People pleasers are actually selfish. Melissa Simonson, a self-love coach and astrologer, will explain. She's here today in the shadow of Valentine's Day to bust a few relationship myths like this one. There's a common misconception in the dating world that leaning back is sort of this best approach into how to go about dating. And so the idea is that a woman lean back and the man will lean forward in, you know, sort of pursuing her and claiming her in his life. Um, And I love this in essence, like it's sort of looking at masculine feminine dynamics. However, what it often ends up doing is having the woman, or in this case, really the, the feminine oriented person energetically being so focused on trying to attain something outside of herself that she's not actually listening to her inner sort of emotional navigation system, tuning into her own needs. She's not able to tune into, is is this person even right for me? It almost becomes this game of trying to win something. And it's just actually a very disempowering place to come from. So much of feminine energy is is looking cute and waiting to be chosen. Yes. Exactly, and it's and in it's in what I've come to discover that when we're really in our power, we're doing the ones who are choosing. Both people in the relationship right. are actually choosing, and so leaning back is this whole concept that if I if I'm pleasant and if I'm receptive and if I don't complain and if I don't blame him for anything, and if I play my cards right. <laughs> 
if I play my cards right, exactly. And so that's something that just when I hear that, it just it frustrates me. And when I was in certain you know groups on social media years ago, I would you know kind of be observing this, and what I saw was it was actually creating more anxiety in the women who were in the space because they were so worried about getting it right versus getting it wrong, yeah. and they weren't listening to themselves. Yeah. Do you even want this person? Yeah. You're so busy leaning back thinking, oh, maybe he'll choose me or she'll choose me. Are they worthy of you? Okay, that's number one. Number two? So the second one is there's this myth of, it's sort of a codependency myth. So it's this idea that my happiness is something that should come from within me, that should not be dependent on my lover or partner or mate, and that my well-being is not their responsibility and theirs is not my responsibility. It's sort of this, it's kind of related to this leaning back concept, but again, it's this idea, it's this sort of idea that we're supposed to become more self-reliant, more independent, that that's how we secure, it's sort of like a relationship between two totally self-sufficient people. And this sounds really good, and I get where it comes from. We're not turning to someone as the source of our happiness, but what this ends up doing is it actually has us not realizing that one, attachment and, and dependency are actually a biological thing. So there's research out there that now shows that when we partner with someone, when we actually form an attachment, that our blood pressure regulates one another's blood pressure. Our heart rate sync up. Our breathing syncs up. The level of hormones in our blood syncs up. So the idea that I can be in a relationship with someone and his having a bad day isn't actually going to impact me or vice versa is not actually biologically accurate. We are made to attach. It's actually part of the sort of survival instinct that we have within. This is sort of this idea when people come in of like, you know, labeling each other, oh, you're too needy or you need to learn how to not be so impacted. I see that, again, it really gets people in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're meant to take care of each other. That's right. In a healthy way. Absolutely. In a healthy way. Let's have one more relationship myth. I would say the concept that people can be needy or even this this sort of trend we have of labeling people as narcissists. Now, to be clear, I understand from a psychological perspective that there are people who fall on a spectrum of, you know, personality disorder. However, what I find um, is that when people get caught up on labels, she's being so needy or he or she is a narcissist, what ends up happening is, one, we're in, the, we're in victim consciousness. We're in the world of blame. We're taking our power outside of ourselves. We're placing, we're saying, this person is the cause of my, my not being well, my not feeling good, which in the flip side, we also can make someone the source of our feel good, right? But the truth is that the way that we feel and what we're experiencing, even when we're using these labels, it's only ever about our own needs. So when I have met needs, like in the case of, it, let's say I'm going to say, oh my gosh, this relationship didn't work because my partner was a narcissist. What I'm really saying is, I really value mutuality and support and compassion and consideration. I didn't experience that in this relationship. And I have the power to create conditions to have those needs met. So it doesn't even matter who or how this person is. What right. matters is that I'm connected to what I need. Similarly, 
when we label someone needy, that's a misconception because we're only needy in so far as we have unmet needs. So in that situation, what might be happening is, as one of my mentors, Tom Bond, has liked to say, that that needy person might be kind of like going to a hardware store trying to get ice cream. Hmm. <laughs> so it's like if I keep coming to you for compassion and warmth and you're just not someone who can contribute to that for me, then it would be like, come on, give me what I need, right? But that person isn't needy. They just have unmet needs and right. they might be displaced in where they're trying to actually that, if that makes sense. They're barking up the wrong tree, Melissa. Yes. And sometimes they're barking up the wrong tree because they're really afraid of intimacy. But that's another story. That's absolutely true. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yes. You know, you just keep finding these guys who can't give you what you want because the ones that can give you what you want yes. also see who you are. And maybe you don't want to be seen. Anyway, right. we are talking to Melissa Simonson, who is a self-love mentor and also an astrologer, which is an interesting piece to bring Bring yes. to the to anyone's puzzle when you're coaching them, right? So yes. uh, you can say, you, so so. How would that work if you're coaching someone about yes. self love? You can inform them with astrology. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I trained as a spiritual life coach 12 years ago, but before that, all the way back to being eight years old is when I developed my fascination with astrology. It just was this, became this lifelong study of understanding myself and understanding others. So what I've come to realize is that it is one of, if not the most potent paths to self-awareness that we can have. And at the foundation of self-love is self-awareness, because if you can't see yourself or the patterns or the beliefs that you're sort of swimming in that are creating your life, then you can't choose anything differently. So I start all of my client relationships looking at their birth chart based on the date, time, and place of birth. And I look at some particular points in the chart that show me the tendencies this person has that sort of their fear-based survival strategy. So in the case of like people-pleasing or right anxious attachment and with the women I work with, we can see a lot of the origin actually there. But we look at what are those misconceptions that they're carrying. Then we also look at what are the attributes this person is here to develop that are really going to help her create a thriving life, thriving relationships. Sets the groundwork for what we're here to do together. What is this person's individual journey of growth and what's really going to help her, help her have the fulfillment that she really longs for. I'm actually looking at some points that are called like the north and south nodes of the moon, um, which are this kind of inner tug of war we have between Mm. the fear part and what's really going to put us in walking in love and trust and empowerment in our lives. Um, I look at the placement of Saturn in the chart, the placement of Pluto. There's an asteroid called Chiron that's known as the wounded healer asteroid. It points to our deepest and earliest wound and how that informs both kind of our superpowers, but also where we can create stories of unworthiness about ourselves. You know, it's interesting because Carl Jung actually used astrology with his patients, which I just love. So it's a very archetypal way of, of doing work with people, understanding these core patterns, these even universal patterns that are playing out in people's personalities. And your client does not have to know anything about astrology to benefit from these things that you find. 
Absolutely. I always do like an initial like kind of astrology 101. I'll show them their chart. This is kind of what I'm talking about just so they can kind of get the visual. But beyond there, I'm really just saying, okay, so here's what this means for you in your life. You right. know, So I right. might look at a chart and I might be able to see, oh, wow. So this person really, really has a story or this, they really love order and they love to feel like they know the plan all the time and that everything's working according to their plan and of course we could see how that could really get someone in trouble right because one it's going to create anxiety they're going to be trying to control outcomes all the time so I'm able to see from there like this person is really on a path where we need to deepen their spiritual awareness we need to deepen their capacity to to sort of let go and let God so to speak or whatever their word is languages for that right? right so that would be an example of how that might work it's wonderful to help you step into your power you know, when I found out I was Capricorn rising, I was like, well, that's why I'm so bossy. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you call yourself. I'm like, you're very direct and very enterprising. You're like, no, I'm bossy. <laughs> I'm a little bossy. All right. You say, Melissa Simonson, that people pleasing is selfish. Please explain. Yeah. So on the outset, right, people pleasing looks like it's for the other person. I'm always thinking about your needs. I'm always trying to anticipate how I can be kind to you and understanding. But it's actually a fear-based response that's self-preserving and that what I'm actually afraid of is deep down I'm afraid I'm not lovable. I'm afraid that, um, you know, if I'm people-pleasing, that is, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose your approval, that you might reject me. And so I'm actually not thinking about you at all when I'm people-pleasing. I'm thinking about myself and how to keep myself safe and getting love and getting what I think that I need from you. Shazam! Shazam, that's a biggie. Oh, my goodness. All right, so I need you to just say it one more time. So people-pleasing is selfish because when I'm, I'm saying yes, whatever you have, absolutely, I'm really doing that for myself. Right, because the thing is, is that when we live and we step into abundance consciousness and we step into the awareness that everybody is creating their lives and everyone has the capacity to have met needs, when I stop playing that rescuer who's like says yes when I really mean no, um, I create a space of empowerment for you to actually meet your needs or to be in a relationship with someone that's truly aligned for you or to choose the opportunity that's really going to work best for you, right? And I'm also creating the space for me to go, what do I need here and how can I really have that? So the idea that needs are in conflict and that one person has to sacrifice, that's not actually true. Mm -hmm. Strategies to meet needs. So when I talk about needs, I'm talking about like, let's say you have a need for support, but maybe I'm in a space where I've got so much going on in my life, I can't be the one to contribute to that need right now. So my job is to get that we live in an abundant universe and that you can meet your your need for support in so many ways, and I can honor and acknowledge my love for you and my care, but I might have a boundary there where I say, you know, I can't do that today, but are you able to connect on Wednesday or Friday of this week? I would love to, you know, help you with that, or maybe it's just a no for me in general, but I can trust that you're able to actually 
find a way to have support without me having to sacrifice anything. And so that rescue role, it's, it's this really interesting, subtle way that we create everybody as victims, including ourselves. Then we become resentful, right? Because I'm doing something I don't actually want to do. So is that true generosity? I don't think so, right? True generosity is when I'm tuned into having my cup overflowed because I'm so aware of what I'm needing and tending to that, that, that I'm able to be in tune with if you're needing that support and it's such a yes for me, then I can give general, generously from that place, right? And I'm, I'm creating a space for you to experience your needs fully met as well. Beautiful. I just want to stand up and give you a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to send everybody to melissasimonson.com. Is there anything else we need to know today? You can truly have the love and the life that you most want. And if you're not experiencing it, it's because there's something going on at the, at the level of your thinking. It's important to have someone hold up the mirror for you to see what it is that you're not seeing that might be blocking you from having the love, the life, just the fulfillment that you most desire. But I promise you it's completely possible. That is Melissa Simonson, melissasimonson.com. She's a love coach and astrologer. Reach out. She can help you learn how to have an overflowing cup. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. Come on out and have some fun at the Country Dance Saturday, February 23rd, and then discover your power within. That's our retreat weekend, March 1st in Ossining. All the details at Casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. And our thought for the day is from Fred Rogers, who said, If only you could sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to people you may never dream of. There is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.